This is Buck's First Thoughts, the news you need to get through your day in 45 minutes. Make sure you subscribe on the iHeart app or wherever you get your podcasts. I've told you all along, you cannot trust these bureaucracies. You cannot trust institutions in this country anymore because so many of them have been overtaken by left-wing ideologues. That's the case when you talk about the news media has been for a long time. Uh, It's also now very apparent when you look at the major bureaucracies out there. You look at what's going on with institutions like the CDC. So it's gone beyond just the private sector wokeness. It's gone beyond college campuses and universities that have Marxists running all over the place. Now, what should be nonpartisan government, federal government institutions are provinces of the left effectively and are working for progressive and woke ideology in whatever way they can. This is a major challenge. This is a threat to our freedoms and liberty. It's one we have to take very seriously. Uh, But you also have to focus on what's going on online these days. And as you know, the Internet never forgets. And there's never been a more important time to protect your Internet activity than right now, given all the politicization and all the ways that big tech are punishing people. That's why I urge you to get ExpressVPN. Everything you search for, watch, or click online can be tracked by big tech companies. They can match your activity to your true identity using your device's unique IP address. When I switch on ExpressVPN, my computer, my phone, whatever it is I'm using, has a masked IP address. Makes it a lot harder for websites to identify me. Use ExpressVPN on up to five devices simultaneously. It's so easy to use. You download the app. You'll have it set up in a minute. Stop handing over your data to big tech companies. Go with the VPN I trust for online protection. Visit expressvpn.com slash buck to get three months free on a one-year package. That's expressvpn.com slash buck to get three extra months free. Expressvpn.com slash buck right now to learn more. I've been warning you all along that the CDC was going to get addicted to all the power and influence that it's had. This is an institution. This is an organization of the federal government that has been largely resigned to putting out flu advisory notices. You know, once in a while, there'll be an Ebola scare or there'll be a, a, a hantavirus outbreak somewhere and they'll they'll call someone at the CDC for comment on the news. But generally speaking, the CDC was something that you mostly knew about because in zombie apocalypse movies or in some, uh, you know, some some sci fi thriller, the CDC would make an appearance. Right. I I like the show The Strain, for example, and the hero is a CDC scientist. It's actually a good show. I think it holds up pretty well for what it is. But now we see that just like all the other federal bureaucracies, the CDC is involved in not just partisan politics, but in progressive politics, in Marxist identity politics. And it doesn't want to step away as as the COVID pandemic slowly fades. It's going to be a long, painful extrication from the overlords that we have now at the CDC telling us what we can do, where we can shop, whether we can go and breathe fresh air outside without some smelly rag across our face, right? That, that's not going to be an easy process in and of itself. But the CDC wants to be involved in the national conversation. That's why they have Rochelle Walensky as the director now. This is somebody who is a progressive and a leftist. I mean, she is, I, I assure you, entirely in line with all of the political positions of a primetime MSNBC host. Now, if you were to sit down, you know, Robin, uh, Robin Walensky of the CDC, I'm sorry, Rochelle Walensky of the CDC is somebody who would believe in, of course, a woman's right to choose, meaning terminate a pregnancy for all nine months. She believes, I'm sure, in all of the the whole panoply of transgender rights, even the ones that are being created as I'm still sitting here speaking to you. I'm sure she believes in giving puberty blocking drugs to 10 year olds who think that they're a different gender than they are. Whatever it may be, find a left wing issue and the head of the CDC. And I'm sure all the people around her, too, because these are science bureaucrats. Who do you think goes to work for the CDC? People that are really going to cure cancer or people who want to be working in the government 
You went to med school for four years and then did your residency or you have a Ph.D. in microbiology and you want to go work at this at the CDC. So you can do what exactly if you're really good, generally speaking, aren't you going to go to big pharma? Aren't you going to actually work at a place where they're coming up with new drugs that save people's lives? Just pointing this out, folks, as we all sit around worshiping uh, St. Fauci as if this guy knows anything. Uh, but here they are weighing in today. We're still. Uh, in the midst of this COVID pandemic, it's fading out, but there are a lot of cases still. And people are dying every day. And uh, there, you've had a real spike in cases in places like New York and Michigan, which we'll talk about more later. Th- yet they're immediately shifting focus because they don't want to lose the ability to be front and center in the public conversation. They're, they're shifting focus here to racism as an urgent public health threat. Now, there are a lot of ways that we could tackle this conversation. You can get into this. But let me just give you a sense of this. This is the statement from Rochelle Walensky, MDMPH, director of the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Here's what she writes. The COVID-19 pandemic has resulted in the death of over 500,000 Americans. Tens of millions have been infected. And across the country, people are suffering. Importantly, these painful, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. Uh, the disparities seen over the past year were not a result of COVID-19. Instead, the pandemic illuminated inequities that have existed for generations and revealed for all of America a known but often unaddressed epidemic affecting, uh, impacting public health. Racism. Wow. The real public health epidemic, I guess, isn't COVID. The, the one that we're going to have to struggle with for For generations, the real public health epidemic is racism. Think about this. How how is racism a public health epidemic? Where can we can we isolate racism in a Petri dish? Can we actually do do a test for, you know, antibiotic resistance when it comes to racism? And what are we really talking about here? No, this is the transference of a supposed institution of science, which is really just a massive government bureaucracy that's a tremendous amount of sloth, waste, and abuse, and has been catastrophically inept during the COVID pandemic. Let's remind ourselves of that. Remember when in the early days, messed up all the testing? The CDC messed up the testing. And also, who was telling you in the beginning, guys, testing for this disease is just one of a hundred steps to try to deal with this. But there was such a focus on it because it was it turned into it was Trump's fault that the tests in the early days weren't uh, coming out in the numbers that they needed them to, meaning they weren't producing enough of these tests. Anyway, uh, the, the CDC has been a, an abject failure. Um, they were they didn't have the backbone, the institutional backbone to say, sorry, lazy teachers unions. The schools should be open. All of them. Always. There is no reason to shut down K through 12 education ever in this country. The data never supported it. It was never reasonable. CDC too cowardly to do that, because do you think that if you took a poll of CDC employees, what, 95 percent of them voted for Joe Biden? That's what I would guess, about 95 percent. And if you wonder where I get these statistics from, if you look at the federal government, and federal government bureaucrat donations in the Hillary Trump campaign, guess what? Over 90% went to Hillary Clinton. So you got a whole bunch of, of CNN watching leftists working at the CDC, and now they want to get in on the next big challenge, racism as a public health threat. And, you know, they cite, for, they, they cite in this uh, health data about life expectancy, uh, they cite that uh, white Americans live longer than black and, Hispar- uh, black and Hispanic Americans on average. And so this, this is racism. It has to be racism, they say, right? What's so fascinating is, do you think that white Americans have the longest life expectancy? Because, you know, white supremacy, when they talk about racism, the only racism they're fighting against, it's not black on Asian racism. It's not Hispanic on black racism or or. Anything else, it's white supremacy. We all know that. That's the only racism that concerns the left in this country. There is no other racism as far as they're concerned. Even racism among other races, they will tell you, and you know this is true, is the result of white supremacy. So white people are the, are the reason for all racism all over the world, in fact, which is insane, but that's what the left believes. 
somehow Asian Americans have a considerably higher life expectancy, I believe it's over 80, uh, than white Americans do. Which is interesting, isn't it? Because Asian Americans also have higher average household income than white Americans do. But, but the system of white supremacy cannot be, we, we can't say that this is an exaggerated construct of the left. No, no, we all have to bow before the terrors of the white supremacist system that exists all over our country. Look, there's a tremendous amount. Uh, there's, a, there's, there's a tremendous amount of misinformation out there about all of this, right? There's a tremendous amount of people who are, are sitting around saying, hold on a second, maybe the CDC's actually got this, right? And, they, and, they, and they, as I said, they have, to, they have to bow down to this notion that white supremacy is influencing all of our institutions. It's, it's in everything. It's everywhere. It's all over the place. Maybe can we can we have a conversation as to whether that's actually exaggerated and that's harmful and that separates us and that that pulls us apart? Right. Can can we have a conversation about that or are we, we not allowed to? No, we're just supposed to accept their premise. We're supposed to accept their premise that even the health disparities from covid are a function of white supremacy and racism, structure, structural racism, white supremacy. These are the same things. They're used interchangeably now. They didn't used to be. White supremacy used to be guys with, you know, neo-Nazi tattoos and shaved heads who were, you know, really bad people. Now white supremacy is, well, there's disparate representation in the, you know, MIT electrical engineering program among different ethnic groups. So that looks like white supremacy to me. I mean, it's, it's abused all the time. It's abused all the time as, as, a, as just a concept now to silence people. And, and then that brings me to uh, the CDC. I've been worried all along that the left has seen something here. Um, the left has seen that if you can terrify people based upon their health, or if you can go for something, what, what's really perhaps the most personal thing for all of us, our health, our ability to enjoy our day-to-day lives and to stay alive. And this is a really effective means of control. This is a really effective means of getting people to do whatever you want them to do. We've seen this during the pandemic. I've said they're going to go from the public health emergency to the climate change emergency. They're going to go from the uh, they're going to go from the public health emergency to the gun violence emergency, which they've already done. And in fact, as you know, the CDC always wants to study gun violence as if the CDC has a role in this. But it's using a large federal bureaucracy under the guise of health to control you. And they say that this is now all about racism because then all these equity challenges all across the country, it turns into listen to the science. That's what they'll say. Listen to the science. Uh, and as we all know, that hasn't been true about their approach to COVID. It's definitely not going to be true about their approach to what they call now white supremacy, which is it's almost hard. To, it's hard to define. It's whatever the left decides it is. And now it's whatever the CDC, the Centers for Disease Control, decides it is. Perhaps we should call it the Centers for Racism Control now. We got in this CDC statement put out by the, the director, Walensky, very political. Obviously, if she's going to get that job in the Biden administration, we will continue. Oh, sorry. Here you go. As the nation's leading public health agency, CDC has a critical role to play to address the impact of racism on public health. To say that there's racism in public health, they never will say who's committing the public health racism. That's what I want to know. I, I want to know who's actually doing the racism in public health. Now, if they want to argue that there is an economic disparity for health outcomes, that's absolutely true. And we should look at how that happens, why that happens, where that is. But if they're going to say that their racism requires action by individuals, that is immoral. That's what racism has to be premised on. That's what racism has to be based on. So who's doing it? Are, are doctors not treating minority patients because they're racist? Whose fault is it if one community 
drinks more uh, sugary soda, for example, and, and, and more foods that are likely to contribute to type two diabetes than another. Do all ethnic groups in this country actually have the same risks from different diseases? It actually turns out if you look at the numbers, there are some diseases that all over the world disparately affect certain populations based on ethnicity. That's just a genetic reality. Some people, some uh, some groups, ethnic groups, national groups are more susceptible to certain diseases. I mean, one that comes to mind is sickle cell anemia, for example. So there actually are some health disparities that are just there that, that aren't the result of racism. It's worth noting that. But how do they how do they expect how is the CDC going to say that we should tackle this? Well, you see an example of it uh, of it in Vermont. This is from Scientific American Vermont to give minority residents priority for covid vaccines. Uh, This was just just recently. States have tried with limited success to get vaccines to people of color who have been disproportionately killed and hospitalized by the virus starting Thursday. Vermont explicitly gave black adults and people from other minority communities priority status for vaccinations. It follows Montana, which in January announced that Native Americans and other people of color, because they're at higher risk of complications from COVID-19, would be allowed to uh, receive the vaccine. All black indigenous residents and other people of color who are permanent Vermont residents and 16 or older are eligible for the vaccine. Okay, so we're actually now prioritizing people for life saving for what we all understand is a life saving vaccine based upon skin color. That is happening in America today. You, you think that this is the beginning of this or you think that this is just a one off? You think that they're going to do more of this or they're going to do less of this going forward? Right. <clears throat> this when I say this, I mean, using race as a means of making distinctions about health that really matter. Distinctions about public health authorities and state resources in ways that really matter. You know, would it have been fair? I mean, I had to help my family members. I had to help my parents get vaccinated. They're both seniors or my mom's close to being a senior. Uh, I had to help them get appointments and figure out. And it was not easy for them at all. Would I resent the idea that people who are younger than my parents, but are of a of a preferred by the CDC racial category would go ahead of them, even though the risk, as we know, is first and foremost determined by age. Yeah, I think that that's a problem. I think that's racism, but that's not the way that the uh, the left sees this at all. They are pulling us apart. They, they are Marxist I- identity politics obsessed. That's what's happening now across the country, and that's what's happening with the CDC's involvement in all of this. And, you know, they're, they're, they're doing things at CDC like, here's, here's how they're tackling this, right? Let's ask about, well, what are they really doing? We're expanding our internal agency efforts to foster greater diversity and create an inclusive and affirming environment. That's going to save a lot of lives. Yeah, I'm sure the CDC is going to be really successful in that. We're launching a new web portal, Racism and Health, as part of our ongoing commitment to serve as a catalyst for public and scientific discourse around racism and health and to be accountable for our progress. Oh, I'm sure they're going to be really accountable. Here's how they finish off this statement. Confronting the impact of of racism will not be easy. I know we can meet this challenge. I know we can create an America where all people have the opportunity to live a healthy lifestyle when we each take responsibility and work together. I'm committed to this work. I certainly hope you will lean in and join me. Uh, this is all just this is all just the same stuff that you see, the, the kind of, you know, Marxist equity babble that you see from college and university admissions offices. I mean, they're they're really pushing very hard on this notion that America is this really evil, racist country and that there is no, in fact, equal protection under the law. The law has to be making constant distinctions between people based upon race This is an enormous moral regression. This is absolutely wrong. This is absolutely going in the wrong direction. And it started with smaller things like, oh, a little bit of affirmative action in schools, a little bit of affirmative action in hiring. Now you've got states that are saying, oh, you're black or Latino. You get priority access to a vaccine over other people, including other people who are at higher risk because of their age and comorbidities because equity. It's actually happening in this country right now in America. The Biden administration is, of course, pushing all this stuff as much as they possibly can. That's right. Rich old white guy Joe Biden is trying to convince America he's so concerned with equity. 
Sure he is. It's a fraud, friends, but unfortunately it's one we're going to have to fight back against because this is just the beginning. The CDC as a woke agency is a reality. You really got to fight to get to the truth these days. The media is lying to you all the time, more than ever. It is worse. I just want to say that it's worse than it's ever been. And also people are more uh, politically uh, locked into their beliefs than they've ever been before. People are, are more uh, certain that whatever they're, whatever they're saying is the only proper way of, I, and I'm talking about even the words they use, but just their positions as well. We are in a, a polarized and ossified political environment, unlike anything that's ever been before in my lifetime. It's existed in the past, but it's gotten worse. It keeps getting worse. And you see this even over the gun control issue and the way that Joe Biden's talking about gun control. And you say, oh, hold on a second. Why is he coming up with this stuff? And he's had so much time with all these different advisors and people that are actually writing these speeches and the legislation in Congress. And he lies about stuff. And we're supposed to think that that's not a big problem. Like it's not an issue that when it comes to a constitutionally protected right, you have the president of the United States saying things that are just not true. And, and then if you bring that up, people yell at you like you're a bad person. The truth will get you in trouble. Well, the good news is there are other people out there like you who share your beliefs. And you know this, but if you've tried to share your political opinions on social media lately, it's hard to have a civil conversation. Luckily, there's caucusroom.com. It's a social media network exclusively for conservatives. Caucus Room is an online community for conservatives to gather and engage locally. Only real people who are verified conservatives can become Caucus Room members. But Caucus Room will never share your information with anyone ever. The sign-up process ensures you're communicating with real conservatives in your neighborhood, no bots or trolls. It's a great way to get engaged on issues where you can make the biggest difference locally. At Caucus Room, you can participate in live virtual meetings that are so secure the platform played host to over a dozen virtual Republican Party conventions over the past year. Caucus Room is made by conservatives for conservatives to get organized and make a difference. Join the Buck Sexton listeners group on caucusroom.com. That's C-A-U-C-U-S-R-O-O-M dot com to interact with other listeners just like you. Again, caucusroom.com. C-A-U-C-U-S-R-O-O-M. Caucusroom.com. Join the Buck Sexton listeners group and interact with others just like you. Most people don't know it. You walk into a store and you buy a gun, you have a background check. But you go to a gun show, you can buy whatever you want and no background check. Not true. Does anybody care anymore when things are not true when Joe Biden says them or when a Democrat says them or, oh, I, I know we, we can apply the Don Lemon standard, which is, well, Trump lied so much that no lies matter anymore. No, I, I, I don't I don't agree with that. I, I don't agree with any of that, but that's the standard they're trying to apply now to cover up for Amtrak Joe. You know, here I am. I'm, I'm just going to, you know, just going to say this stuff and. You know, um, no joke, friends, you know, just kind of a little breathy, a little, a little bit of stop and start. And, you know, listen to me, because I'm so earnest, such a, such a straight shooter, but not like a gun shooter, like a different kind of shooter. It's not true that you can go to a gun show and buy a gun without a background check uh, as a matter of policy. That's not the case. If you're a federally licensed firearms dealer at a gun show, you will run a background check. So when Joe Biden says that you can just go to a gun show and buy one, that's not true. There is some wiggle room in the law for hobbyists and enthusiasts who aren't engaged in selling guns as a as their business who are at a gun show. But the overwhelming majority, it turns out, of people that go to gun shows and buy a gun will actually have to pass a background check. There's a whole other part of this argument, too, that I think is worth noting, and that's a lot of really bad people can pass background checks. If somebody has a criminal background, they're going to know that and they're very likely to ignore whatever the gun laws are if they want to get a gun. But a lot of other people, uh, including people that have severe mental illness or are going to go on some kind of a, a shooting spree, uh, they, when you look at it, uh, 
they would pass. They do pass background checks a lot of the time. So I understand that there are a lot of security measures. I'm not one of these people that's going to pretend that there's no need for things that aren't 100 percent effective. Right. I mean, this is what the left does with vaccines now. Well, it's not 100 percent. So you still have to mask up. What? That's crazy. Sorry. Not 100 percent. All right. They're playing games here. Yes. Vaccines are incredibly effective at preventing the virus from being spread as well as individuals from getting it. It's not perfect. I understand that you can make a case that background checks are are going to work sometimes and they do work sometimes in stopping people from getting firearms. But let's also not overstate the fact that a lot of mass shooters pass background checks. So, you know, you're 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 throwing a bunch of things at this in the hopes that it's going to reduce violence in a meaningful way. And what you really get with the background check stuff, for the most part, is going to be the if it saves just one life mentality, which is not how we make policy. If it saves one life is the basis for a truly tyrannical government, because think of all the ways anyone who's going to argue with me on this one. The speed limit should be 10 miles an hour. We would save tens of thousands of lives a year. It's true. 10 mile an hour. What? You have to go so fast. What? Your business wouldn't function anymore. Too bad. It'll save lives. We don't do that, do we? Although I worry these days that the mentality in the era of COVID has changed so much that people would say, yeah, actually, you know, we probably should have a 10 mile an hour, a 10 mile per hour speed limit. You know, I, th- I think we actually should have that. Um, so the gun show thing is not true. But more importantly, you get to the underlying philosophy of Joe Biden and his underlying philosophy of the Constitution. Uh, here's what he says. Play two. There are phony arguments suggesting that these are Second Amendment rights at stake from what we're talking about. But no amendment, no amendment to the Constitution is absolute. Isn't that so interesting? Uh, Because the only amendment to the Constitution, and this is just obvious, the only amendment to the Constitution the Democrats believe is absolute is the uh, right to an abortion which is not in an amendment, nor is it in the Constitution, but there can be no restrictions on it whatsoever. No limitations whatsoever. They will fight any number of things that have come forward, that, including making abortion uh, centers have, uh, have doctors with admitting privileges at a hospital. The Democrats, the left, will fight against that like crazy, including saying that you need to have a surgical-grade a medical center to be performing abortions. Democrats will fight against that. So even what we would call safety measures for abortions, never mind stopping of abortions, they will do everything they can to stop. They'll do everything they can to shut that down. And unfortunately, they're very successful in it. Uh, they, they are abortion absolutists. That is true of Democrats. That is true of the left. Um, so that's one thing they, they do believe in, in an abs. And it's just ironic that the only amendment that they believe is absolute is the one that doesn't exist or the only constitutional right, which is the right to an abortion, which does not exist. And they can continue with this lie as long as they want. But it's absurd. Uh, and then you have something else that, that I thought about where, where Biden pulled the fire in a crowded theater line. It's remarkable. Democrats keep doing this. I mean, a lot of politicians and some Republicans will do this, too. Sometimes fire in a crowded theater comes from a Supreme Court decision, Shank v. United States, where the Supreme Court wrongly held that a person passing out flyers, a socialist pacifist who was opposed to the First World War, passing out flyers against the draft and against Woodrow Wilson, who was a tyrant, by the way, against Woodrow Wilson's desire to enter the U.S. in the First World War, clearly protected political speech, that that was, quote, the equivalent of yelling fire in a crowded theater. So Democrats think this is clever. Biden thinks this is clever to say, well, there are limitations on rights like yelling fire in a crowded theater. And he actually cites a uh, a pseudo intellectual justification for the tyrannical shutdown of speech. Because that's what that actually refers to. Um, but you just never, you, you never expect Democrats, when they speak, when they speak about the Constitution, I'll, I will just say this. It's a little bit like when Democrat politicians speak about the Bible. You can, they're always, they're always a little uncomfortable. There's always a little, uh, you know, uh, you know, a little, 
hey, you know, blue collar Joe here. I'm just, you know, doing my thing. And, you know, I get kind of folksy and, uh, you know, I get a little breathier. and uh, You know, something, you know, four score and on the seventh day and the thing, you know, they just kind of mutter off into nonsense. Because ultimately, Democrats believe that the Constitution is a question of utility. They actually don't think that there, you know, they they don't think that there are um, universal truths that the founding fathers saw in those documents and and in the document of the Constitution and in the the Bill of Rights that are more important than whatever the Democrat agenda of the moment may be. Shared principle doesn't matter. Look at how we've switched from a country that wants equality to a country that now wants equity. Which is just, this is just a pathway to Marxism. If this means the same ends, you get what the state says you can have. As much as possible, make that true. Not the state will treat you and another person equally under the law. You will have the same recourse to the law. You will have the same protections under law. And then it's let the best man win. We have a great society because we are willing to have an unequal society. We are not equal in terms of talents. We are not equal in terms of hard work, of intelligence, of, of you know, beauty, of, of, of health, of all kinds of things. It's not fair. Life is never going to be fair. But a government that tries to create a utopian society by having absolute control, we see what this does, and it results in misery. It results in, in the shared... Uh, shared misery as uh, Churchill. And I, there's always a Churchill quote. There's always a Churchill quote when you need one. <clears throat> Capitalism is the unequal sharing of blessings and socialism is the unequal sharing of misery. Or rather, the equal sharing of misery. Uh, <laughs> you can't mess up your Churchill quote. That's not good. But here we have one of these times where you see very clearly the Democrat agenda laid before you and on guns, on health, on all of these things, It doesn't matter what argument we make. They've decided they want these things. They have an emotional impulse to get it to get it done. And that's why you just you see that it it all all the facts and figures that you can put forward. It falls on deaf ears. Doesn't matter. It's already decided in their minds. So it's very, uh, very challenging to see this as anything other than a power grab when you actually get into the facts and figures with Democrats on gun control. And it's not going to save us. Meaning it's not going to save a lot of lives. It's not going to deal with the enormous gun violence surge last year. Uh, The gun violence surge was the result of undermining law enforcement and emboldening criminals, which was all part of a left wing narrative that America is a racist place and that cops are racist and that there's a justification for the destruction of uh, businesses and rioting in neighborhoods because of that. That's what led to the worst murder rates we've seen in this country in over 20 years. But no, instead, we're going to talk about ghost guns. We're going to talk about how we can have some change made to uh, to guns at gun shows. I mean, all this stuff. Oh, we've got a new ATF director who doesn't like the Second Amendment. Okay. That's really going to help, right? This is garbage thinking. But the Biden administration, as you've seen, there's there's a lot of not just uh, bad policy approaches, but bad faith in the way they talk about this and the way they view the other side. This all began with the disdainful narrative of everyone who voted for Donald Trump was somehow a part of the January 6th insurrection which wasn't an insurrection. And the more we found out about it, the more we realized it was a, you know, it was a mob that got out of control, didn't actually kill any cops and is being treated like it was some kind of militia effort to overthrow the United States government when it was really a bunch of misled losers who did something very, very stupid and very foolish. But that was the beginning narrative, you see, because the Democrats now they view you and me through that lens. So they're not going to listen to us on guns. They're not going to listen to us on COVID, not listen to us on anything. We just get pushed aside, swept away 
one of those January 6th insurrection supporters, even though we've been condemning that thing the whole time. It doesn't matter. They don't care. The president said a moment ago, quote, you go to a gun show, you can buy whatever you want. No background check. Is there a special exemption in federal law that he was referring to? Or just do FLA dealers not have to do background checks when they're at a gun show? Are, are you asking me if he was referring? No, it's okay. Were you asking me if he was referring to like a specific circumstance? Or I'm sorry, just tell me a little bit more about your yeah. question. I mean, is it the president's belief that you do not have to undergo a background check when you are at a gun show? No, it's not his belief. He believes that gun that background checks should be universal. Right, but he says no background check. Well, we know what his position is, right? So let me reiterate that, which is that uh, gut background checks are something that should be universal. They're supported by more than 80 percent of the public. He's supported legislation, advocated for that, um, and uh, advocated against loopholes as well. So that's his position, and I appreciate you asking for the clarification. Yeah, well, that's really interesting, Jen Psaki. Another Psaki bomb dropped here because he said very clearly, we all heard Joe Biden before, he said, that you can go to a back, you can go to a gun show, no background check. That was the no background check. That was the quote, not pretty much always a background check, but maybe under some circumstances, you might be able to get a firearm without a background check. Uh, that's not what he said. So when she says we know his position, OK, but what he said isn't true. And it should matter what the president of the United States says on a policy issue like this, where the facts are really what we are talking about. The facts are really what's what's at issue here. Um, Vice President Harris is also out there on the push for gun control. Here she is, play nine. Over the course of my career, I have seen gun violence up close. I've looked at autopsy photographs. I've seen with my own two eyes what a bullet can do to the human body. I've held hands with the hands of parents who have lost a child. I have seen children who were traumatized by the loss of a parent or sibling. And I have fought my entire career to end this violence and to pass reasonable gun safety laws. Time and again, as progress has stalled, we've all asked, what are we waiting for? Because we aren't waiting for a tragedy, I know that. We've had more tragedy then we can bear. We aren't waiting for solutions either, because the solutions exist. They already exist. People on both sides of the aisle want action. Real people on both sides of the aisle want action. Okay. What action do we supposedly want? The banning of ghost guns? Is the banning of ghost guns? I'm, I'm just wondering if we went down this list, let's let's take a look at a city like, oh, Chicago, which had a massive increase in shootings last year. And it's already far too violent as a city with the banning of ghost guns or the background check provision changes that they want or or anything that Biden's talking about now, classifying uh, a, uh, modifications to a, a pistol. So that'll be a short barrel rifle and then you'll have to register it under the National Firearms Act. Would any of that stop a single one of the shootings in Chicago last year? Let's just take that as a as as one point here. Would, would any of them do that? I, I don't have the answer. I bet the answer is less than one percent of those shootings would have been affected by those things. But this is the action we have to take. This is what we have to do. It's about so much more than that. There is a fundamental philosophical difference between the left and the right on the issue of guns. They think that guns are a little private rebellion in the hands of individual American citizens, and they cannot abide it. And we think that that little private rebellion that each one of us has by essentially having the opportunity to tell the state there is a line that you shall not cross. There is a break against tyranny. There is a bulwark against tyranny that is an in individual hands, which is the right to bear arms. Uh, that's very important to this country. You know, advanced, sophisticated democracies in the past with a high standard of living and have gone fully tyrannical. They did not have an armed population. We have an armed population and we want it to stay that way. Democrats want to create registries and harass lawful gun owners in every way they can 
change the culture, change everything about the gun ownership reality in this country so that they put it on a glide path to eradication. That's what's really separating the two sides. It's Harsanyi time. Our friend David Harsanyi from NationalReview.com is joining us right now to talk about guns and maybe even some Hunter Biden stuff if we've got the time. David, great to have you. Let's jump right to this, man. This seems to me like it is absolutely as predictable as anything could be. The Biden administration, we're a few months in and we're having the, it's the, the same gun control debate we had under the Obama administration time and again. They never give up. I'll give them credit for that. Yeah, I was thinking about, the, about that the other day about how I'm constantly I feel like I'm writing the same thing over and over again. But it's really not my fault because they keep coming back with the same exact arguments, the same exact uh, policy proposals. Actually, they're getting a little worse. Like Biden said a lot of ridiculous things the other day that are completely false. I mean, they're lies about gun shows, uh, you know, not having to have a uh, background check when you buy guns at gun shows, about AR-15s, about everything. So I'm not sure exactly why they're doing this, because it seems unlikely legislation will pass, but it definitely will rile up gun owners. We'll probably see another huge spike in gun owner, you know, people buying guns if the, if the manufacturers can keep up with it. I'm not sure. And what do you think they really hope to accomplish by this? I mean, if, if we were if we were able to sit in in a meeting in the Oval, let's say, with Kamala and Joe and, you know, the Ron Klain, is this to drive up the the Democrat base's enthusiasm for this administration and just to drive up donations? Or or do you think that they really believe that they're going to because I mean, my thing is, even if they got these things, no one who understands the numbers and, and the statistics thinks that a change in ghost guns is going to bring down the violence rate or you'd be able to show how this is actually saving lives. So what do they think they accomplish with this? Well, I think it's two things. First of all, I think there's a lot of pressure from left wing groups to do something. So they decide to, you know, pretend they're doing something. Ghost guns, you know, when you're when you're going the uh, executive order route, there's only so much you can do. It's unconstitutional to limit, you know, AR-15s or whatever. So they're trying to sort of nibble at the edges to allow people to uh, get excited about them doing something. The second part is if they do something, if they somehow get something through the point, you know, AR-15s are used in only a small fraction of murders in the United States. But if they get something through, um, it's incrementalism. And they, they want to take your guns. I have zero doubt about that. And they're just trying to figure out ways in which they can move forward, constantly move forward. I am, you know, I'm against any, like it doesn't matter what I'm for, but I'm against any legislation that moves forward with more gun control. We have 40,000 gun laws on the books. We don't need any more. We need enforcement of gun laws we have. We need someone to investigate Hunter Biden, see why he had a weapon and why he lied on his background check form and why a gun was thrown out in the garbage near a school, for instance. Well, can, can, can you, can, David, can we dive yeah. into that? Because I actually haven't covered that yet on the show. And so I want this audience to know exactly what you're and we we're going to talk about Hunter Biden in general and all the stuff that's come out. But tell everybody what happened with the Hunter Biden gun situation. Well, he, you know, when you buy a gun, you sign a background check. A lot of people don't know that because Democrats always lie about it. But 90, you know, eight, 99 percent of people who buy guns have to go through a background check. Every gun has gone through a background check. And Hunter Biden has a I believe it was just a, some kind of semi-automatic gun that he bought at a gun shop. But he lied on his background check form because he said that he wasn't. Um, I don't know how it's phrased, but it using did. drugs, right? Yeah, using drugs <laughs> that he wasn't doing crack. So um, and he was, which is uh, fine. I mean, not fine, but maybe he's getting over it. Maybe he's in rehab. I don't know what he is, but he lied on his form, which is uh, I believe it might. I think it's a felony. So um, he's lying to the FBI. So a lot of people lie on those forms and there are very few prosecutions. Let's go after people who are lying on those forms. Let's go after, let's tighten up the system. Like in, in Charleston, the the uh, the local police hadn't uh, informed the FBI that there was criminality, you know, but that shooter had done drugs as well. So um, anyway, so I think, you know, there are plenty of laws in the books. We need to tighten those up. I'm all for, you know, going after people who lie on background checks, but we don't need any more laws. And, and what was the disposing of the gun uh, Hunter Biden near a school or something? What's that? I don't know the, the, the particulars exactly, but something like I think it feels like this is just how it feels like after reading it to me or what it seems like is that his girlfriend, I guess it is, 
uh, felt that he was a danger to himself or a danger to others and took the gun and just threw it out in a nearby garbage, which happened to be across the street from a school, which is, uh, an, you can't, it's, 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 I'm not sure in Delaware what the laws are, but you're not supposed to throw out guns in, in, uh, in that way. You're not supposed to dispose of Yeah, that's that's not a safe. I mean, if you're not supposed to dispose of your antibiotics in the trash, you know, or or any prescription, I'm pretty sure you're not supposed to throw a Glock in the trash and just hope that nobody finds it. But um, I'm speaking to David Harsanyi of National Review here and David on the Hunter Biden stuff. So so here's my thing. And I think you you alluded to this this feeling just just a couple of moments ago. Yeah, addiction is a very, very serious, crippling thing, and it ruins families, and it, and it is quite sad. I think it's perfectly fine. I think it's actually just being fair-minded to say that, yeah, Hunter Biden is an addict, and that's something that we can sympathize with. Hunter Biden is also a really narcissistic, spoiled, destructive scumbag. And and if if he were Donald Trump's son or even any Republican son, for that matter, he wouldn't be going on a book tour right now where Jimmy Kimmel is basically giving him a back rub on TV. Yeah, I mean, I never or very rarely would write about stories that have to do with like infidelity or drug use of politicians. Like, I just don't do it because we don't really know what the situation is all usually. But here's the thing. This is the this is now the president's son, the vice president's son who only made a, you know, who made 50K for a Ukrainian energy firm because of his last name. And uh, we're not allowed to talk about this sort of thing because it makes the president look bad. And it's just insane. I mean, if, like you said, if, the, if, if this was Don Jr. or any of Trump's kids, it would be all over the front pages of every newspaper. He's a bad guy. I'm sorry. You know, the things he's done are, are immoral. It's not just the drug use. I know addicts and, and, I, and I know that people make mistakes and, and, and et cetera. But that's not the case here. It doesn't seem to have any much remorse about it. But moreover, he is benefiting from it still. Now he has a book um, and he's and he's playing himself as the victim where, you know, and major media institutions aren't investigating what he was up to in China, in, in, in Ukraine and et cetera. They would just not be the same for any other president's son. I mean, any at least any Republicans. It's remarkable as well, David, to to see I, I, Chris Hayes, for example, over at MSNBC, uh, who his he's I, I guess if you're like a, a Brooklyn liberal, you know, he he's your he is your uh, your your great champion of, of progressive causes. I don't know. I, I've never understood how this guy is someone that people listen to about anything. But that's me. Uh, he, he he had some tweet about. You know, maybe maybe is it possible that Hunter Biden's laptop was actually real? And I look at that and I honestly can't come to a a conclusion. I can't analyze with certainty in my own head. Is he just really not smart? And so he he doesn't believe that the, the laptop was it's clearly real. There's more information that's come out about it. It's obviously Hunter Biden's laptop. If it wasn't, they would have been able to debunk it right away. Or is this now kind of a game? I mean, is is gaslighting on something like this for people who have large platforms in the media on the left part of the fun? I don't know. <laughs> I think that many times people convince themselves of things like the Russians are, you know, the Russians planted Hunter's laptop with the New York Post. I, mean, I still see people say stuff like that. It's just insane. That story, those stories had far more journalistic integrity and the people who did them had far more journalistic integrity than most stories you see on on MSNBC about Russia or whatever else. So I don't I don't know what the answer to that is, but it's it's increasingly clear now we you and I knew this and we talked about it at the time that those stories were censored on purpose to help one pre, you know one candidate win the presidency. It's corrupt the media's I mean, corrupt. I I refuse to say things as a matter of course even if it will benefit my my, you know, I'm, I'm a registered Republican, even if it will benefit the Republican Party, it'll I refuse to say things that make me feel like I'm a moron. I, and I don't see that among very prominent people on the left. I mean, I, I went on on a tear recently because on on Joe Scarborough's show uh, on MSNBC in the morning, he went on this whole thing about how, you know, vaccine denialism is for moron Trump supporters. And like they're a bunch of, you know, toothless rubes who are drinking their you know Budweiser at NASCAR I mean it's just he clearly makes this about anybody who has a question about or vaccine hesitancy 
is some idiot Trump supporter. When, I mean, in reality, the biggest vaccine hesitancy uh, bulge in the demographics is among minorities. But you know, it's like he's not embarrassed to say something that's just so very stupid because it serves the purpose in the moment. Yeah, I mean, it depends. So, so I think that a lot of people on the left who are smart, you know, as far as their IQ goes, are will do anything because they feel like Republicans are evil and anything is fine to say as long as it, you know, helps them achieve the goals that they want. I think there are other people like Joe Scarborough who is just not very bright to begin with, but also. Uh, it will say anything for ratings and will say anything that people want to hear wherever he is. I mean, when he was running in Florida, you know, he pretended to be this one type of person. And now he's up in wherever, what is it, in New Jersey or wherever uh, MSNB, MSNBC films, he pretends to be whatever is good there. When Trump, when Trump was bringing him ratings, he said whatever Trump wanted to hear. And now that, you know, Trump is was unpopular, he said, so, so he'll say whatever he wants. Um, but so it depends who you're talking about, but I think there's a lot of ends justify the mean stuff there and people sort of are in bubbles and they repeat things and they start to believe them or if they don't, they just want, you know, it's propaganda. It's basically how propaganda works. They just keep repeating it. And, you know, I can't bore into the souls of some of these people to know if they actually believe what they're saying. I'm embarrassed for them quite often, like Jennifer Rubens of the world. I just think it's an sort of emotionally driven hatred of certain kind of people or Tom Nichols at the Atlantic. I think he just hates the aesthetic of people who wear America shirts or are too flag wavy, you know what I mean? Or, or people who live in places that he doesn't visit. Um, so I think that's a problem too. So I think it's a bunch of different sorts of sort of, you know, there are different sorts of trends going on. Is this Biden administration at this stage more left wing, even than what we saw in the first year of the Obama administration in 2009? First, Buck, I just want to say I love that you let you team me up to go after my least favorite people in the media. So I just wanted to quickly say I appreciate that. Um, but moving forward, um, I'd love to displace my anger on this show. So um, the second thing is, yes, I mean, obviously, I think the part, you know, the, the policy wise, they're far left. I mean, they're, they're far left of, of Obama. And this is just accelerated in ways that are incredible. So today I saw Joe Biden is, 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 is going to have a study group to look into packing the courts. I mean, you know, why would he do that? It's not popular among normal people. It's not probably even popular among most Democrats. It's popular on the far left because the far left is the loudest, the most activist, the most, you know, the the the, the people who raise the money, the people who are out there marching, and he, he has to placate them. So I think that, I think Joe Biden's not left or right. I think Joe Biden is wherever the, he thinks the Democratic Party is. He's been that way his whole life and from 1973 when he was cozying up to segregationist to now. But I, I think that, yeah, I mean, policy wise, it's 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 incredible. The language they use, the racial um, identitarian sort of things that he says, the, the anti-gun rhetoric, you know, it's just all far, far to the left. So I don't know how that's going to work out for them in the elections. But uh, I mean, like this gun thing, what was the point of that? Just to rile up right wingers and make yourself look even farther to the left. I don't know. I don't know what they're doing. David Arsani, everybody, nationalview.com. Go check out his piece there. And David, always a pleasure. Thank you, Buck.